Inside Northwest Sports, Episode 3, recorded January 28th, 2016, is made possible by listeners like you. Visit patreon.com forward slash Inside Northwest Sports to contribute. Welcome to this week's episode. I'm your host, Kai Fuller. Today I'm joined by Boston natives Jonathan Scanlon, John Regan. They'll share their experiences being sports transplants in Seattle. But first, our soccer expert and fellow broadcaster Bill Hansen brings us previews of the Sounders, Timbers, and Whitecaps. Thanks, Kai. You know, the biggest thing to happen to the Seattle Sounders during this offseason is by far the signing of homegrown player Jordan Morris. With his explosive speed, ability on the ball, and mental self-control under pressure during key moments in the attacking third, he brings the promise of a new era for the club. The management and the coaching staff think highly enough of Morris to offer him the most lucrative homegrown player contract in MLS history to date, signing to a three-year deal for $675,000. This signing is not only important to Seattle, it is important to the league. In fact, the MLS feels so strongly about keeping Jordan in the league that they created a new fund that teams can draw from in order to accommodate the deal. Statements from Coach Siggy Schmidt also indicate amount the respect that he feels for Jordan as a player. At the press conference announcing the signing, he briefly mentioned a possible change in tactics for the team. Now, traditionally, Coach Siggy has employed a 4-4-2 formation, and he alluded to changing his playing style to a 4-3-3 to accommodate for the third striker. I believe that having Obafemi Martins and Morris coming in off the flanks with Dempsey in the center will give Seattle a much-needed attacking threat as well as give the opponent something new to adjust to. This season promises to see a quicker and slightly more direct style of soccer. This means more goals on the horizon and a more exciting game for the fans to watch. Now, yesterday I had a chance to talk with Jordan and ask him about what it means for him to play for the Sounders. And he told me, and I quote, It's a dream come true for me to play at home. The training in Bremen was great, but in my heart, I just knew I wanted to come home. I have always dreamed of playing for the Sounders as I grew up watching them, so I can't wait to step out on that field in front of the best fans in the league. It will be amazing to play in front of my friends and family. Moving just south to Portland, yesterday the Timbers announced a long-term contract extension with current manager Caleb Porter. Last season, Coach Porter guided the Timbers to their first MLS Cup final with a 2-1 victory over the Columbus Crew to become MLS champions for 2015. Timbers owner Merritt Paulson said, It's hard to imagine a better cultural, tactical, and philosophical fit to lead the Portland Timbers on the pitch than Caleb. That's very high praise indeed for a coach in his third season in the MLS. Previously, Porter was the head coach at the University of Akron, where he won an NCAA championship in 2010. Coach Porter has also had experience at the national team level with the U.S. U-23s, helping them to qualify for the 2012 Olympic Games in London. Since taking over the helm at Portland, Coach Porter won the MLS Coach of the Year honors in his first season and just missed the playoffs by a point in his second season with the Timbers. Also in the offseason, the signing of Chris Clutie as a defender to replace Jorge Villafaña shows that the Timbers seem to still be on track going into 2016. Chris is great in the 1v1 situations and is a well-rounded player that can get up the pitch to contribute to the Portland attack. 
Clutie looks to become a great asset for the Timbers in the upcoming season. Good luck to the Timbers in 2016 as they look to repeat their championship season. Moving just north of the border to Vancouver, B.C., the Whitecaps last season lost in the conference semifinals to Portland 2 to nothing, and they're looking to take steps to improve on that performance by adding some goal scorers to their roster. In the offseason, they have brought in two players that they hope will be just that catalyst they need to make it to the championship game in 2016. Masato Kudo joins the Whitecaps from Japanese J1 League side Kashiwa Reisal, where he has scored 92 goals in 260 appearances and won a J1 League title in 2011. I believe that he has the skills and the desire to make a difference in Vancouver. However, Kudo has spent his entire career up until now with Reisal, including his training and playing time in their youth system. I think the hardest part will be the language barrier and being able to settle into the cultural change from Japan. This adjustment is usually one of the hardest things the players have to deal with when they play overseas. Also joining the Whitecaps for the 2016 is Costa Rican midfielder Christian Bolaños, who is a two-time World Cup veteran with the Ticos. He has also played professionally in Denmark, Norway, and Qatar. Bolaños will add to the scoring threat of Vancouver, having scored three goals and 22 appearances in the UEFA Champions League play with the Danish side FC Copenhagen. Bolaños will not have quite the same challenges settling into the local culture. He will be joining two fellow Costa Ricans already on the squad. Kendall Watson and Jordan Smith are both members of the Costa Rican national team with Bolaños. The Whitecaps spent a good amount of time and effort to re-sign their young core players. They feel that they are the future and that they need to keep improving to help the team on to greater things this season. Coach Robinson says, Hard work beats talent all day long. When you're talented and you can work hard, then you've got a player on your hands. Now, he certainly believes they have a group of talented players. Can he push them to become the best players they can be? The Whitecaps start their season at home March 6th with the Montreal Impact. Yeah, thanks, Bill. Uh, you mentioned a special homegrown contract as well as a special MLS fund. Can you expand on that a bit for our listeners? Sure. In the past, homegrown contracts have been just that a player from within the youth academy that grew up and played for the for their team that they were involved in the academy with what now has happened is this year that the mls from what i understand anyway the mls has set aside a a fund of up to 125 thousand dollars per year for homegrown player signings now i believe that they did this as a move to help keep jordan and players like him in the mls We'll be right back with some thoughts from our friends from Boston. Here at Inside Northwest Sports, we want to bring you unique perspectives, in-depth coverage, and an alternative to mainstream sports talk radio. But we can't do it without your support. Visit patreon.com forward slash inside Northwest Sports to find out how you can contribute. We're back with Jonathan Scanlon and John Regan to discuss their experiences as sports transplants living in Seattle. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Kai. Uh, so I grew up in western Massachusetts uh, in a town called South Hadley. It's about an hour and a half uh, west of Boston um, and grew up as a New England fan. Um, so we moved around a lot as a kid. Uh, my dad was in the Navy, but then once we eventually got settled in, uh, I definitely set my sports loyalties uh, with the Boston area teams. 
Uh, I've moved around a lot um, in my adult life and have always kept those loyalties. And it's been interesting seeing what it's like being a transplant fan in different places. Uh, I've watched Super Bowls in Japan, have watched the NBA Finals from Liberia, uh, and have watched games from all across the country. Um, and I got to say, it's a little bit different being here, you know, because there are no natural rivalries. There, the one blip in that, you know, was the Super Bowl last year. Um, but I still think that uh, it'll stay the same that there are no natural rivalries here. I mean, the the Pats, you know, it's not like we're rivals with the Packers or the Panthers, you know, teams we've played in the past in the Super Bowl. Um, so that makes things uh, a little bit different being here. Um, and, uh, you know, being a football fan, I love the 10 a.m. games because then I've got my whole afternoon ahead of me um, after that 10 a.m. game uh, on a Sunday. Uh, Mr. Regan? I grew up right outside of Boston, a town called Waltham, I would say. If you're thinking of Washington, it'd kind of be like Bellevue is to Seattle, about 10 miles. And I moved here in 92, and uh, I'm a more of a baseball fan than, than anything. And uh, uh, since coming to Seattle in 92, uh, my first girlfriend here worked for the Seahawks, and I went to all the games the first year, and I just really um, fell in love with the Seahawks. So the Seahawks are my football team. They have been since the 90s, and I take incredible abuse from my friends from Boston for that. I get called a traitor, Benedict Arnold. Um, John, I'll be happy to add in on that abuse. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think people from Boston, they expect you to carry those, keep your loyalties to all your teams wherever you go for the rest of your life. And I have a, another friend who moved to Chicago who became a Blackhawks fan, and he gets the same type of abuse. Um, so I, I continue to support the Red Sox. Um, I did enjoy the Mariners during the 90s, and I was really into Griffey and um, it, that whole run, but I was still, Red Sox was still my favorite team, but um, I'm really become a Seahawks fan here. So I, I have a little bit of both. How would you say that the experience watching your Boston teams in Seattle differ from other cities, uh, maybe New York or Chicago or whatnot? We've got one of the best transplant fan groups here that I've ever seen, and that's the Boston Sports Fan Group of Seattle. Uh, we've got about 1,200 members and more on Facebook. Um, we meet up at Spitfire uh, in, on 4th and Belltown, and uh, you'll get you know, 100, 200 people there for big games. Uh, there were about 150 people there for the Pats Chiefs playoff game, more for the Broncos game. Um, I've watched the Stanley Cup finals from there, regular season Red Sox games, and that's just a fun, fun group to be a part of and helps build some community here. Um, and, you know, like John was saying earlier, there, there's folks in that group that have, um, you know, varying sports loyalties. You know, some people are fans of one uh, Boston or New England area team. Some are fan of all, but we all kind of come together and it's, it's a really nice group uh, to be part of. And I'll add to that, Jonathan, when you said Spitfire, I work with a guy, uh, his nickname is Tree. Uh, his name is Matree. He's really into the Spitfire. Uh, he lived in, Boston for about five years. So he's not a native, but he became so enamored with the teams there. Those are his teams for life. And he wears Patriots. He works with me at T-Mobile. He wears Patriots gear to work. And he's an outspoken Patriots fan. So it's kind of funny you mentioned Spitfire. I've never been, but he's always tried to get me to come down for a game. So maybe I'll take him up on it and look for you also and say hello. Do you have a particular best or worst experience following your team on the road? As a Red Sox fan, I listen to, I get MLB. Um, I subscribe to MLB, the app, and I listen to almost every game. I'm, 
I'm a huge fan of radio baseball. I love the radio call. I enjoyed Dave Niehaus when he was with the Mariners. So um, one of the most enjoyable things for me is to listen to radio baseball as the Red Sox go all over the country and hear the Boston announcers, how they describe a city. Even when they come to Seattle, I'll listen to the, the, the radio baseball call just to hear how they're enjoying the city. So I don't really have a negative. I That's that's kind of my positive. I, I love road trips. So for me, that radio baseball on the road, it's almost like going on a road trip with the announcers and the team. Yeah, and the away broadcast always shows the fish market every time. Yeah. <laughs> On the TV, so and one more and when when Dave Newhouse was calling for the Mariners, I used to love when they I would listen to his call when they go to Boston because he just loved Boston and he would talk about the, the things there, the old the old school stuff, and he he loved all the old school nook and crannies of of something like Fenway Park. So yeah, yeah, and add to that, you know, I think a lot of this is easier now than ever. You know, there's so many different options to listen in to watch games. You know, whether you're streaming, uh, you know, sports bars, um, apps that you have, um, you know, while a lot of newspapers are gated these days and you got to sign in or pay, you know, you get better coverage a lot of times through fan blogs, you know, like the SB nation, uh, networks, you know, for, for Celtic stuff, Celtics blog and SB nation is fantastic. Uh, a lot of great coverage there, um, of the Celtics. So I think it's definitely, uh, easier now. Um, it's definitely easier in this country. Um, I've lived abroad and um, one year living in Japan, went through um, uh, the the 2003 ALCS between the Sox and the Yankees. That's when uh, Aaron uh, effing Boone uh, <laughs> hit that uh, shot off uh, Wakefield. Um, that game, you know, I watched with uh, one of my coworkers in Japan and it was on very early in the morning and he was kind enough to cook me a, a breakfast uh, that morning. And, um, he was a Yankees fan, uh, and, uh, he was very kind to me, uh, despite the loss. Um, that same year, uh, it was the year, uh, it was an embarrassment of riches for her Boston sports fans. But, uh, that February was the year that the, uh, Patriots beat the Panthers in the Super Bowl on, on yet another, uh, you know, late kick from, uh, 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 from uh, Adam Vinatieri, um, and that was one where um, I had a friend tape the game for me because uh, there was one sports uh, station that would cover the Super Bowl, but I didn't get it. I was too cheap. Um, so I got a tape. It was a VHS tape. You know, this is 12 years ago, and it's still doing a VHS tape that I had, and I watched it later that day. And the guy, this guy was, I love this guy. He was a vice principal at one of the schools that I taught at, and he spoiled the game for me. I mean, I, he knew that he was recording it for me so I could watch it, and he still spoiled it for me. But I still had a good time watching it. I had some friends over um, to do that. Um, so that was fun um, um, seeing that. And then the, the other one I think I mentioned earlier was um, 2008, uh, the uh, NBA Finals between the Lakers and the Celtics. Um, I watched that series from the U.S. Embassy in Monrovia, Liberia, watching it with Marines. Um, and that was kind of fun, particularly in Game 7 when the Celtics blew out the Lakers um, by, what was it, like 30, 40 points. Uh, that was a lot of fun, watching there with Marines and then uh, doing some celebrating afterwards. Thanks to my guests, Bill Hansen, Jonathan Scanlon, John Regan. This podcast can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, SoundCloud, and your favorite podcast app. Subscribe today.